There was a day in 2010 where I woke up that morning and I was petrified to get into bed one more night feeling hopeless and helpless and disgusting and uncomfortable and bloated. And I said, I have to figure this out today. I have no choice. And you could imagine over 45 years, I thought, you know, I, all I needed to do was find another diet so many different times or go to therapy or gym memberships and none of it worked. So on this particular day in 2010, when I said, I need to figure it out today, that was kind of like a... Welcome to Finding Your Spark again. I am so glad to be here today with you and with our guest, Julie Latz, who is a food psychology coach, who for 45 years, Julie was obsessed with and controlled by food. It felt like her life revolved around it and she was a yo-yo dieter. And when she went off a diet, she found herself binging on all of her favorite foods and feeling miserably out of control again. In 2010, Julie created a simple yet powerful process to finally become free of food addiction, which is detailed in her book, Stop Binge Eating and Start Living Again. She coaches women worldwide on how to stop compulsive, emotional, and binge eating without dieting or deprivation. Welcome, Julie. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Me too. And I'm really happy for this topic that we have today, which is really how to be happy, loving food or how to have a really good relationship with food and yourself at the same time. So uh, thank you for coming here and talking to us about it. I would love to just hear your thoughts on that to start off. You know, it's interesting because when I was a binge eater and people who have food addiction kind of issues could relate to the fact that when we think of food, we feel compelled to eat it. And we're not thinking about the joy of the taste, the temperature, the experience. Instead, we, we just feel compelled to eat it whether we're hungry or not. And a lot of times we're you know, afraid of getting caught. So we may sneak food and hide it. And at least that's what I used to do um, because I didn't want my family to know how much I really ate. So the joy of eating when I was going through that was the momentary taste that I had, whether it was eating a box of donuts or, well, it took more than a moment, but you know, whatever I was eating, I guess you could call that joy, but it was so fleeting and it left me miserable. And now like getting to the other side of it, the joy of eating is an entirely different experience. I've created such a happy and healthy relationship with food. And back then in 2010, I was eating the standard American diet. But by 2013, I have become whole food plant-based eater. And, um, you know, I work with people who are involved with all eating styles. It's, it doesn't really matter where they are. But I've come to the point where you know, it was, it was a process to learn how to enjoy food while taking care of my body, while taking care of my mind and really being present. Yeah. So this really brings up for me, uh, you know, in my practice, there is a balance between our bodies and our minds and our spirits, right? And that those emotions that we're reaching for feeling good, feeling satisfied, uh, feeling free, all of those things are, 
they're rooted in our ability to be physical with them, right? We can't, we can't do those things unless our body makes certain chemicals, right? So we can't reach for them. Uh, so I love that you're sort of bringing in this physical element to getting a new relationship with the physical element is going to help you get a new relationship with the emotional element. What that relationship was like earlier on in terms of where the joy was in your life, in your early life? Well, that is a great question because I have so many memories of a wonderful childhood in general. But interestingly, the ones that really stick out have to do with all the times I was able to sneak and hide food. And what I mean by that is I remember the excitement of being able to sleep at a girlfriend's house because her mother wasn't looking out to make sure I wasn't eating donuts and candy and cookies. And I remember going to you know, the convenience store with a friend, like walking there and bringing some money to get licorice and whatever kind of candy I could eat. It was a sense of freedom for me because my mother, and God bless her, she only meant well, but she wanted to make sure that I grew up thin so that I would always look the part and, and you know, get married and have children. And she just wanted the best for me. But that's basically what got in my way. I was so deprived because I wasn't allowed, quote unquote, allowed to eat junk food. So I started doing it in private. So the memories I have are things like sleepovers or birthday parties where I was kind of on my own and I got to overindulge. Um, I remember like when we would go on vacation and I would bring extra money with me so that when my family wasn't looking, I would go to the shop downstairs, let's say, and then I would take that junk food and go eat it in the bathroom or, you know, going to buffets. I would, I remember buffets so well because the greatest thing was when our table was in a different room than where the buffet table was. Cause then I would be able to go in there and eat brownies or cookies or rolls or whatever I could because my family wasn't watching. And then I would go sit back down with my meal that was really healthy and a small amounts. So it's interesting to think that the memories I created that bring me joy were related to the ability to stuff myself with food or you know, taking my parents' car to Burger King or Bagel Nash or whatever. It was just, that's what lit me up was being able to overindulge because it was being squelched, that, that ability to enjoy, you know, let's just call it junk food in moderation. I didn't know how to do that. That really uh, brings to mind kind of for me, how we, um, how we make memories, how we, our bodies are made to focus on things that uh, can do one of two things, either have a huge payoff, right? So we'll feel really good. We'll release a bunch of chemicals. Like usually those things uh, that we focus on when we're, when we're teens and things are sexual activity and things like that because uh, that's the payoff because your body wants you to make another baby, right? So this is like, there's a, a biological reason for it. And, uh, and or the things that can be life-threatening for us. And so the physical um, release of chemicals that make you happy became that trigger, right? So that's really interesting. Um, particularly when you look at it in terms of now you have uh, uh, several years behind you between there and here 
and how what we focus on really does get bigger, right? It becomes a bigger part of our experience. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, once I became free from food addiction, which, you know, it was a process, but it really did happen like really, really quickly. Everything about my life experience changed. I began to feel present with my family instead of, you know, every time we would go to go any place, um, I was there with them physically, but emotionally I kept thinking, when can I sneak off to the ladies room or, you know, when can I go eat? When is it lunchtime? And being free is, it just, it just changed my life because now I'm present with them. I'm paying attention. I'm part of every experience with my family. And, um, that's what now brings me joy because I'm awake. I love that you bring that up. And also, uh, I feel like it kind of relates to, you have a, an ebook that people can get for free, which of course is linked below or on the side with whatever platform you're on. Um, but it, it really does kind of bring into my mind this, these 10 tips that you have. And one of them is to kind of eat the trigger food. Which is a funny thing to say. I've never heard anybody say that before. I know. It's so counterintuitive because as binge eaters, where we can't control ourselves around any food, we think, okay, I need to stick to a diet and stay away from everything that will turn into a binge. And that's what I did for 45 years. And obviously it didn't work. So um, just to touch on my story as to why I... Uh, you know, recommend that people do that is that, you know, my problem be began at like age five, where I was, as I was alluding to before, you know, that my mom wouldn't let me eat certain things. And I started to do it in private. And what I realized is after going through that for 45 years, there was a day in 2010 where I woke up that morning and I was petrified to get into bed one more night, feeling hopeless and helpless and disgusting and uncomfortable and bloated. And I said, I have to figure this out today. I have no choice. And you could imagine over 45 years, I thought, you know, I, all I needed to do was find another diet so many different times or go to therapy or gym memberships and none of it worked. So on this particular day in 2010, when I said, I need to figure it out today, that was kind of like a, a tall order, but I was again, too scared to get into bed feeling this same way. So I thought, well, if I want to get into bed feeling happy, I need to be happy after everything I eat. And then by definition, I would be happy getting into bed. And that was all I cared about was that bedtime. And um, so I said, well, what does it look like to be happy after everything I eat? So the first thing that came to me is that there can't be any foods off limits because that's what I've always done. And by staying away from the things that I couldn't control myself with, that led to the deprivation, which then brought me back to binging. So I said, well, what if I were to try to eat two snacks a day of things I would normally binge on, but eat them in moderation? And that sounds so strange because I never knew how to eat anything in moderation, ever. So I started to just slow the whole process down and I thought, well, what if I can, like, what would it look like to live as the opposite of a binge eater? Like, what does that look like? Well, that maybe I should ask myself certain questions. So 
I just started to ask, you know, what are you in the mood for? How much of it can you eat and be happy when it's over? Because again, everything was tied to when it's over. So that way I could be happy in bed. And what I found is by incorporating those extra two foods a day, I was like following Weight Watchers because I wanted to eat healthfully and I needed to know either how many points or calories were going in my body, especially if I wanted to lose weight and I wanted to incorporate these snack foods. So I started to see that by using the, the method that I share with people and asking certain questions, I actually call them tricks to make it stick. By, by doing that, I, I noticed that I was able to, let's say, eat 10 M&Ms instead of handfuls or two cookies instead of 22 cookies, things like that. And when I saw really within the first day, when I saw that I could, I'm just going to use the cookies example. When I saw I could eat like two cookies and not 22, I thought like, why would I ever want to do that again and abuse my body when I can actually enjoy two of them? So as soon as that happened, everything changed. And I found that with all of my clients as well. If they do um, this set of like mental exercises, kind of just questions you ask yourself, they too found that, oh my gosh, like I don't need to do what I was doing. And it starts to build trust in yourself because as binge eaters, we don't trust ourselves around anything. But once you, if you keep staying away from the trigger foods, you just keep staying on a diet and then you get the deprived and then you binge. So that's the long-winded answer to what is the story with the two foods? I love that you're, you're bringing up the emotional basis of it, right? Because when you talk about trusting yourself, I would be hard pressed to find anyone that I've ever spoken to uh, or met or heard about who truly trusts themselves as an adult before they relearned how to trust themselves, right? So we come out as babies and we're, we're in the experience, right? We're not judging whether this is trustworthy behavior or not. We're just in that experience. And then the world trains us out of learning ourselves, right? Of uh, trying things and deciding for ourselves for good reason. I'm not, I'm not saying it shouldn't happen. I'm just saying it does happen, right? right? So we end up, many people end up by the time they're done with their teens and into their 20s in a situation where they're kind of remembering how to behave given the models that they've had rather than doing the thing that you're talking about where you're really tuning in and saying, what do I want in this moment? And how will it be satisfying to me? And how can I trust myself to be in relationship with, in your case, food? But this can be true in so many aspects of our lives, right? So this build, we build trust, right? Because that's the thing that's, that's the most broken is I can't trust myself with that thing, right. food, whatever it is. And, uh, and then that leads to what you're describing in your, I want to get in bed at night and be satisfied. I want to be at peace with myself. I want to be happy as it were, but contented really, it sounds like what you're talking about. That's it. I want to be peaceful and calm and not reactive and not impulsive, but peaceful, which is why I named my company Peaceful Eater is because it's. Um, that really is how I identify with this. Uh, everything used to be frenetic. 
you know, when, where, how, how much, what, what diet should I start again? Um, so having the ability to just live life, not attached to that. One other thing I wanted to bring up was what makes the work that I have people do and that what I do or, you know, have done, what makes it work is to have a why that is short term, you know, like when, when you think of a why, a W-H-Y, your reason for doing it, it's important to have a short term, measurable, compelling why. And when I say short term, it's by tonight or tomorrow morning. And the reason I say that is if somebody, you know, wants to look a certain way or wear a certain dress at a wedding in six months, well, that's something to work towards, but that's not a why that works for this. Because whether you do the work today or you don't, you're not going to wear that dress, right? Or, you know, um, back to school night. Like if people are thinking about things in the future, they're not incentivized to do the work today because they're not going to see the results. So it all started because my why was the bed that night. And I realized that by doing this work, these tricks to make it stick and asking these questions, I was able to achieve that why so quickly, like by that night. And that's what made me keep wanting to do it. So it's got to be important. So again, for me, I had no choice that day. I needed to figure it out. And that's, it was almost like something just came to me that, you know, you need to figure this out today. But it, it had to be tied to that night. It was a compelling short term and it was measurable. I was either going to get into bed happy or not. So that's another part. I look at the why as an anchor to incentivize you to do the work. So this is a extremely different way to look at that question of why am I doing something? Yes. Uh, normally when I hear people talk about why they're doing something, they say uh, for my children, for my family, so that I can be around a long time, so that I live right. a long time, you know, all those kinds of things. So this concept of making it really small, making it really attainable, but also something you want to continue to do every day, right? It's not actually achievable, even though it's attainable, right? So you've done it, you felt it, and then tomorrow, you don't, you know, it's not a graduation slip. You don't just get right. out and look at it, right? <laughs> That's right. It's rinse and repeat and get right back to doing it again. And as I said, like it takes work every day, and it, but it, there's nothing hard about it. There's nothing hard about asking yourself certain questions, like what I was saying before. What am I in the mood for? Or even am I hungry? I mean, as a binge eater, I never, I didn't even know what hunger was. I never thought about it. And Honestly, it never mattered whether I was or not. The compulsion to eat was there, regardless of, of whether I was hungry or not. So now what I do and what I suggest people do is stop for a moment and ask, like, am I hungry? And I made the rule that if the answer is no, I just don't eat, which is really the antithesis of anything I ever had you know, done in the past. And then I think I check back a little while later, like, am I hungry now? And when I start to feel hungry, then I think, okay, well, great. What am I in the mood for? And I have this conscious conversation with myself to try to like hone in on what do I want this eating experience to be? 
And so instead of letting the food and the experience happen to me, I'm choosing how I want it to play out. So what am I in the mood for? How much of it can I eat and be happy when it's over? Because again, it's all about when it's over so that I got to get into bed feeling happy. So just asking those questions, that's the work and that's not hard. And it's so empowering when you see yourself, like I was saying before, to be able to eat two cookies and enjoy them. And one thing I want to bring up, which you may get at, is the way to enjoy things, uh, one of the major keys to doing that is being awake at the plate and really paying attention to every bite. Because if you're not, if you're scrolling through your phone or you're talking on the phone or you're watching TV, as soon as you're done with the food, you're going to say like, okay, now what? Because you weren't satiated, you weren't part of the experience. And so it's so crucial to actually really pay attention to every bite. And that is because you've thought, oh, I know I want something warm. I want something creamy. I want crunchy, like whatever it is you want. Your body's telling you that because your body either needs a nutrient or it needs a texture or it needs a temperature. And when you're honoring that, then you get the opportunity to pay attention to it and you don't need anywhere near as much of it to feel satisfied. It's a really uh, good point about really bringing you into the moment, right? Because that's really what we're, you're talking about is that I'm in the moment with my food. And uh, often I talk about how you really can't find joy anywhere else but in this moment, right? It's not in the past and it's not in the future. You can, you can have a memory and feel the feelings of joy if you want to, but the joy isn't back there, right? It's in this moment because that's the one where we're in. We're having that relationship. So, uh, so to be really in relationship with all of the things in our lives, the food, uh, I love that you're making that connection between how can we be happy with food in relationship to food, um, really, we can only do it in that present moment, can't we? Right. Yeah. And, you know, with, with what you're talking about for your work <clears throat> is most people really are stuck in the future or the past. It's so hard to just quiet down and see, like, where am I now? <laughs> what, regardless of food, just with anything, we're just, uh, it's just not our society. Yeah, it's not built for for being in the moment. But it is uh, really enhanced by being by taking time to yes. actually be in the moment, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I also like that what you're talking about in terms of making a why or a reason uh, or a goal for yourself, really, uh, it, it takes the um, the sort of physical achievement out of it, right? Because I can't tell you how many people I have seen lose. 20 pounds to have their wedding and a year later I see them and they're easily 40 pounds heavier <laughs> right uh, because Absolutely. the goal is over the the thing is done I held my breath for as long as I could you know yes and you know it's funny you say that because I tell people this is not a weight loss program this is like a get out of binge eating jail program where you can reclaim your life and when you do these tricks to make it stick when you stick to either your points or calories, just because so, the only reason I, um, I recommend points or calories 
is so that people don't overdo what goes into their bodies when they start to incorporate these trigger foods. But I tell people it's not a weight loss program. When you do this work, the weight loss follows, but you get the joy immediately when you, let's say, put off your breakfast instead of just you know thinking to eat something and eating it, when you have this, I call it the power is in the pause, where you just wait and you have a conscious conversation with yourself and you answer certain questions. When you do those things and you react accordingly or you respond accordingly instead of just feeling like the food is taking over you and you have no control, then that's, that's really the most amazing, joyful feeling that you are in the driver's seat. It's not happening to you. When you're doing this, the weight loss follows and you don't feel like you're on a diet because there's nothing off limits. Yeah, you're really tying together freedom and joy, which is a yes. great marriage, those two, right? They're easily, they go back and forth, right? When we feel free, not just free of a, a compulsion, but also free to do what we feel like doing in the moment and free to know ourselves that deeply to say, you know what, right now, I actually think it's going to be super fun to have this Oreo or whatever it is, uh, the, your, your 22 cookies, uh, but to have, one, to have one and then decide, oh, do I need another one? No, I don't need another one. Okay, I, ha I was present. I was fully present. And so there's that freedom of the past and the future. Absolutely. And if that just reminds me of, I think of all the times uh, we grew up, I, I mean, I was in New York uh, most of my life and we used to go to the New York Yankees game a lot. And I have a husband and three sons and, you know, they were paying attention to the game. They, you know, they were focused there. And I was thinking of when can I escape to the ladies room to go to the concession stand. But what happened after I became free from food addiction is I would think like, oh, I think I want to have one of those, you know, like those big pretzels they have. So I would just excuse myself and I'd say, I'll be right back. And instead of running off to the ladies room to eat that as quickly as possible, I would bring it back and I would eat in front of them. And I would, I would think to myself, how much of this can I eat and be happy when it's over? And then I could easily pass the rest on to my family. That it was unheard of from somebody who only lived, like I was obsessed with and controlled by food all the time. This was like, ah, I get to enjoy it and I can eat it in front of my family. And share it with your family, right? Yes. It became a new, a new experience of joy for everybody as opposed to just for you. Yes, and I got to pay attention and actually care about the Yankee game instead of being preoccupied with when can I escape? So it just opens up everything. I love that. And also the sort of, you remind me about this external judgment piece of it, right? Because when, when you released that judgment and said, there's nobody outside of me whose opinion matters, it doesn't matter. If I eat 10 of these pretzels, that that's my, I'm doing it. And I, it's, you've made you in charge of your experience. And so that is a huge freedom and, and, many, many, many people walk around in the world wondering what other people think of them, right? And so releasing yourself from that, that bondage of other people's opinions of you 
Like in that story you just told, I did not hear you say, I sat there, I made sure I only had one uh, and I, I split it up into pieces because I knew they'd want some and I could only have a little bit of it, right? right. So there's no external judgment. There's no like, if I have some left over, you can have some. I'm, the, I'm doing my thing, <laughs> right? Right. You know what? It came, it turned into um, the opposite of willpower because if you think of willpower, willpower, at least for me, conjures up fighting against yourself, trying so hard to hold on to something, but it's unpleasant. So I've turned it into want power instead. And to me, want power is how do I want to feel? What do I want to eat? When do I want to eat it? It's all choice-based. And when you're making the choices, I don't know, it just, it feels great. You're not being told how, what to do, when, you know, it's, it's all about, hmm, what is this conscious conversation with myself telling me as to how to proceed? I just love those two things that you brought up. The, the want power is brilliant. It's brilliant. I love that. And also awake at the plate. It's such a visual thing, right? That if you have a plate in front of you, you would think of that. You would go like, oh, I should pay attention, which is brilliant, really great. So I love that you're sort of finding language to help us to remember to be present and to remember to be in charge and to remember that nobody else's opinion actually is matters in our experience. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. I also wanted to bring up something else if, if I'm not interrupting you is, you know, a lot of, well, really all binge eaters are emotional eaters and they get triggered by someone or something and they go to self self soothe with food. You know, other people have other vices, but you know, I, I became free from food addiction in 2010. I cannot remember the last time that anything triggered me emotionally that led to my eating. I've totally disconnected the two, which was such a major feat. And I just want to share with your listeners because they may be, you know, confronted with that same issue. So I wish I had my, um, my little prop when I work with clients, I have this little prop. It's like a, a band, you know, like a stretch band that you would use to do exercises. And I have a knot in the middle of it. And the way I look at it is on one side, of the knot are your emotions and on the other side is food and they are knotted up together. So that's what the knot in the middle represents. You're just knotted up that the emotions, the emotional triggers lead to food. So I encourage people to imagine cutting that knot and being left with two unrelated pieces of material they're, they're lifeless and they have nothing to do with each other. And what they need to do, or what I suggest that they do, is when something triggers them or someone triggers them emotionally, to actually look at that thing that's bothering them and ask themselves, what's one thing I can do right now to feel better about this thing? Do I need to write to someone? Do I need to take a walk? You know, what, what do I need to do to make myself feel a little bit better, just one little thing. And the more they practice that, just focusing in on the trigger, the, the less they're going to connect it to the food. So some of my clients have said, well, 
can I just have like one of my trigger foods to take the edge off to start with that? You know, if I don't feel I'm ready to just totally not turn to food, if I'm triggered. And I said, yeah, well, why don't you take the thought of which food you want and say to yourself, I realize I'm, I'm needing to take the edge off and I'm going to have, and again, I'm just going to use the two cookies because I like that one. I'm going to have two cookies or one cookie or one piece of chocolate, whatever it is. I'm going to have that, but I'm promising myself that as soon as that's done, and after I've paid attention to every bite of what I am going to enjoy now, I'm next going to commit to figuring out what one thing is I can do right away to start addressing what triggered me. And it works. I wonder uh, what types of changes you saw in the in the other areas of your life, because obviously you're talking about addressing issues that are not food related issues, right? That, that are happening. Well, I lost 90 pounds, so I've gotten to my goal weight. So I get to really wear clothes that I feel good in and I enjoy. Um, I'm not like, I'm much more comfortable socially now because I used to cancel plans a lot with people because I would think, well, you know, my weight would fluctuate so much. I could easily gain nine pounds in three days, as crazy as that sounds. If I was really binging, I would do that. And so I would cancel plans if I knew that somebody, the last time they saw me, I was thinner. And so now I'm free to just be, you know, and I'm free to emotionally be a binge eating disorder coach or a food psychology coach because I'm not living the life of an imposter syndrome. I'm speaking my truth. I'm standing for what I have found. I've been coaching women for years now worldwide and some men, but primarily women. And I stand for my experience and their experience that you can create an entirely new relationship with food. And when you do, you can reclaim your life. So it's endless possibilities now. I get to exercise and see myself climbing hills without, you know, getting out of breath or I, I just have so much endurance. Everything about my health, my blood tests, you know, from losing all that weight and just becoming a healthier, healthier eater, my blood tests are incredibly good. And so it just, it permeates my entire life. Yes. Yes. And I, and I love that you bring relationship into it because, you know, earlier you were talking about what those triggers were for people and often they're 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 not about food. They're always about or often about uh, somebody treated me differently than I want to be treated, and I don't know how to address it with them or whatever those things are. That what what one thing can can help bring me peace on that other topic. It's great. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. You have been uh, quite enlightening, and I'm so glad that we had the benefit of your wisdom here. I want to make sure that everybody knows how to get in touch with you. Of course, we'll have it linked, but let us know. Absolutely. So my website is uh, peacefuleater.com and there will be, um, I, I guess you do the show notes, you can include, there's going to be a 10% um, a promotion code if this podcast is mentioned that people can use. Um, people can reach out to me. My email is julie at peacefuleater.com. And my Facebook uh, page is 
uh, Julie Latz, Peaceful Eater. I guess it's uh, facebook.com slash peaceful eater. I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, that's basically how to, to get in touch with me. And on the homepage of my website, I have what you were referring to, Donna Lynn, about um, just a free gift for people, the 10 tips to stop overeating, if you want to check that out. Yes, it's quite powerful. I really recommend that you do that. And what a generous gift to allow a discount for our podcast listeners. Thank you so much. It's great. And I just want to thank you so much. I've enjoyed this really, really so much. So thank you. 